Hey, this is a Hakawadi production. Before we start, I just want to let you know I can't get to the studio this week because of a COVID lockdown in Beirut. So if you notice that the sound is terrible, now you know why. I'm sitting here in my personal office in my house. So hope you enjoyed anyways. Today's guest is the CEO and founder of a startup data platform for emerging venture markets. Basically, what this means is that they gather all the intel on the startup world, who got funded, for how much, what they do, and where the funding came from. They also serve as a pitching platform for entrepreneurs who want to connect with the right investors. And last but not least, they produce comprehensive reports analyzing all this data to help investors understand the markets and predict what will come next. They've just released their annual venture report for 2020. So let's get the scoop from the guy who's keeping a tab on things. Joining us from sunny Dubai, please welcome to the show, Philip Bahoshi. Hey, Philip, how's it going? Good. Thank you very much. Um, pleasure to be here and thanks for inviting me. Well, thanks for coming on the show. Um, so you've just released Magnet's annual venture report for 2020. So what's the scoop? Did COVID wreak havoc on startups and investors in 2020? Or did investment continue to grow as you predicted in last year's report? So great question. Uh, let me put a bit of context. I mean, obviously, Magnet is a data platform that focuses on venture capital. And for the first time, as Magnet continues to grow and scale beyond MENA, um, we've launched what we're calling the Emerging Venture Markets Report. Um, basically, one of the things the, that we identified is that we can't really compare the MENA region to the US or Europe's ecosystems because they're at different stages. And with our growth beyond the Middle East, we've started to explore not emerging markets because there's some developed markets like Turkey, but emerging venture markets, so venture capital ecosystems um, across neighboring geographies. And in this report, we looked at Pakistan and Turkey. And exactly to your point, if you looked at the high level numbers, you would see that it was a record year of investment across all three of these markets. Um, but the reality is when you start digging into the numbers, it was very much a year of two halves. Uh, a strong record H1, um, which basically was momentum from 2019 percolating into 2020. And then a big drop off into H2 at the end of the year. Uh, just to put that into context, we know in the investment space that can often take about nine, if not 12 months to close an investment round. So any of the big deals like Kitopi, uh, uh, EMPG, Seleni Car, Jahiz, which took place in, in Q1 of 2020, was probably already nine months in the making. And that the impact of COVID then got delayed to the latter part of 2020. Okay. Last year, you predicted that 2020 would see around $1 billion in investment in the region, and unless there was a natural disaster. And we kind of did have a natural disaster, but it seems like we hit that target anyway. So the conclusion of everything that you just said, some of those companies, I'm not sure what they are, um, but basically we hit the targets that you had predicted. Growth has continued kind of uh, at least as good as what you had predicted. So, yeah, I mean, I predicted that barring political 
crisis or yes, a natural disaster, that that would be the case. And in fact, we ended up having a pandemic. And True, we saw more than $1 billion, just over $1.031 dollars of investment in MENA-based companies. But we actually saw a 13% drop in the number of transactions in the Middle East. Um, and effectively, what we saw were the drivers was investors moved towards later stage startups that had proven business models that they invested in that were likely to weather the storm of COVID-19 and that potentially saw an increase in their demand and product. Whereas the kind of early stage accelerator-based models and the angel community saw a little bit of dry up in investments. So we hit the $1 billion mark, but actually against the backdrop of fewer investments compared to 2019. It sounds like investors were a little more cautious because no one really knows how long this is going to last and what things are going to look like when everything you know gets back to quote unquote normal. Um, but I did notice that you added Pakistan and I'm not sure if you had Turkey already on your platform uh, a few months ago. Why did you add Pakistan? I thought you were specialized in you know MENA region. Is are there, is there a lot going on in terms of networking between Pakistan and certain countries in the region? So, yeah, as I mentioned earlier, Magnet as a platform is looking to scale beyond MENA. And for us, we're looking at the opportunity of the emerging venture markets. So actually, we're already in the process of looking to expand to sub-Saharan Africa. And what we've seen, and and future uh, Southeast Asia is in the pipeline as well. And as neighboring geographies to MENA, both Pakistan and Turkey, literally being neighboring um, to the MENA region, the opportunities exist for cross-pollination. I think at the core of the venture capital space and the startup space, scale is the name of the game. And companies need to look beyond their local geography, if not regional geography, to other markets to see large acquisitions and appetite from international investors and acquirers. And when we looked at the activity that was happening, for instance, in Turkey and Pakistan, they have many of the same challenges that we identified here in the MENA region, be it bureaucracy, be it talent, be it investment. But actually, there were some very stark differences that exist, predominantly in the market sizes of them. I mean, both Turkey and Pakistan have large populations similar to Egypt, uh, if not similar to like Saudi as well. Um, Whereas when you look at the hubs that have uh, predominantly been uh, the biggest in the uh, MENA region, you're looking at the UAE, which are much smaller markets. So there's a lot of opportunities, whether it be for cross-pollination of business activity, talent, or investor activity. All of these are really like of benefits. And the key barrier that we're trying to help solve for, and interestingly, this came out of a trip that I went to Turkey, I think now over 18 months ago, was that when I asked founders why they didn't look to scale to the MENA region from Turkey, because historically they go to Eastern Europe and the US, um, we threw out a survey on Twitter. 70% of the people that responded out of 300 people said, we have not been shown the way which was a literal translation of the Turkish, basically saying we have not seen case studies, examples, or the opportunities. So core to what Magnet is trying to do as we build out to these emerging venture markets is to break down the transparency, to increase the transparency and break down the barriers across these markets to see more of this cross-pollination activity take place. That's fascinating. 
um, especially as we witness like so much geopolitical movement uh, politically and economically around the world to kind of uh, build bridges between all these countries will you know, well, change the dynamic a lot. Um, Mohammed bin Salman, MBS, presented his vision uh, 2030 to the world back in 2016. And since then, there have been a lot of like headlines coming out of the country, including social reforms um, and economic development, of course. So it seems like, uh, based on your report, that they're really picking up steam lately. Um, what's going on over there? What did you find in your report? Saudi is a key market here in the region. The three biggest markets from a venture capital perspective are the UAE, which has probably got the longest history, barring the likes of Lebanon and Jordan, in the region for innovation and technology, uh, followed by Egypt, which is one of the largest markets from a population perspective, and Saudi Arabia, which in all honesty is about three to four years in focus of technology um, as a driver for economic reform. And in reality, given the initiatives that are in place, driven effectively from MBS uh, down to the different organizations, there are a lot of political initiatives, government initiatives, um, as well as venture capital initiatives to really open up the market to foreign entrants, open up the market to foreign FDI, as well as support for the local ecosystem, both at an education and research level, as well as a operating level to kind of improve regulation for companies to um, be able to be successful. And in those top three, it was the only geography to see a 33% um, increase in the total number of deal activity and a 55% increase in the total amount of funding in that space. All the others were kind of declining to a certain extent. And really, it's showing that the fruits of those initiatives are really coming to bear, albeit still only third in both number of deals and investment. But I anticipate that Saudi Arabia will surpass Egypt in the activity of venture capital in 2021 and will begin to get closer to the UAE as a key driver of innovation in the region. So what are some of the fastest growing industries we're seeing across this vast region that you cover and in Saudi Arabia, which is kind of a, a driver, as you just said? So I think from an industry perspective, this year, across all of the geographies, including Turkey and Pakistan, um, saw industries that saw increased demand for their products receiving the largest amount of venture capital. So what does that mean? It means companies like e-commerce that were clearly supporting during the COVID crisis, fintech, where people were moving towards, especially in Saudi Arabia, for instance, where they made uh, cash on demand uh, not illegal, but no longer allowed and encouraging all electronic payments, which really unlocked the fintech industry there. Um, food and beverage, so for food delivery, healthcare, education, the industries that really saw the embracement of technology by consumers um, to help support them during this difficult environment uh, really saw increased investment from a venture capital perspective as they looked to support startups that were seeing increased demand for their product. Can you explain what you meant by uh, cash on demand not being allowed anymore? So I believe that last year, some of the regulators basically stopped people because of the COVID crisis um, being able to pay for goods uh, through cash and instead said that it needs to all be paperless, either through contactless payments of credit cards or through point-to-point uh, -point transfer online. And therefore, when you're ordering your deliveroos, when you're ordering your Amazons, historically in the region, there was always the option to make payments 
on receipt of the goods. That was effectively stopped so that all payments had to be electronic. And that really helped benefit the financial services sector as people went and digitalized their mode of um, uh, payments. Wow, that's huge. That's in Saudi Arabia only, right? Correct. Wow, that's a big step. That's a big step, especially in a part of the yep. world where until a few years ago, most people didn't have credit cards. Absolutely. And I, I think that's been quite a fascinating driver in the e-commerce space, um, in, in all the food and uh, beverage, as well as kind of the logistics, the point-to-point delivery, uh, the Aramexes and the likes where you are getting goods delivered, especially in this environment where people are isolated at home and, and, and they're having to uh, work from home and etc. A lot of that has been benefited from these technology companies. In fact, His Excellency Romayan in, uh, in Saudi Arabia said that it's thanks to technology that many people were able to survive uh, the COVID existence. If you went back five years, many of these companies, the likes of Na'na, Jahiz, um, even Noon Academy from an educational perspective, uh, providing home schooling, um, did not exist. And it's really thanks to these technologies that people were able to overcome some of the biggest challenges of COVID-19. Now, the trick for many of these founders is that with the vaccine coming out uh, and and work and home life potentially returning to normality within 2021 is that they actually need to build products that are longer lasting than just this crisis. And, and that's really um, the, the, the job and the, the role of the founders to build longer lasting products uh, for their companies. Right. So all this economic activity means that we'll probably be seeing a lot of job creation in the entire region, uh, which is great news. But is there enough talent to fill all these positions? So I think it's an interesting time for talent acquisition. Um, as an example, here in the UAE, the Dubai Chamber of Commerce came out uh, back in the midst of the crisis and said that uh, it was around 70% of SME offline businesses were likely to close by end of year because of the crisis. Whereas for many of the tech companies, while clearly there have been some failures and some uh, companies having to let go of staff because of the economic environment that they're in, many of them have been used to working remotely, using technology to be efficient, and potentially acquiring talent that existed in more traditional SME businesses where they may not have been able to afford them or people perceive startups as being more risky, basically shifting their roles from more traditional offline businesses towards online tech businesses. So I think from that perspective, there is talent, but talent remains a big challenge for the reason, region, predominantly because working for a startup is completely different to working for a large corporate or an offline business. And it's a mindset shift for many of them to, to move into a fast-paced, dynamic, growing uh, environment for a company. And, and so I think that that talent um, issue remains, but it's not through a lack of talent supply, it's, it's through a mindset. So what kind of jobs do you think we'll be seeing um, in, in the year ahead? I think that you always need engineers. Ultimately, tech companies are built on uh, technology and the need to, to be able to be innovative, drive and, and improve the, the core technology proposition. People are now using um, digital marketing more than ever before. And it's a certain talent to understand how to use the digital marketing 
tools, business development. Uh, we did a survey uh, probably 12 months ago with 500 startups and business development and sales for tech companies, whether it's B2C or B2B SaaS products is one of the hardest roles um, to be able to fill. So I think across the board, there's no particular job role um, that is of most demand. I think across the pipeline of a tech organization, there will be increased demand for those uh, jobs and opportunities. But what I what, build, what will be interesting is whether people in the tech world will become more comfortable hiring people remotely. So already you are beginning to see, because of cost arbitrage, um, people setting up headquarters, for instance, in the UAE, but because of the cost of talent, potentially having their tech or, or marketing or BD sales elsewhere in remote locations like, for instance, Lebanon or Egypt or Pakistan, um, now you can actually hire the full suite of employees um, from remote locations as we're all used to working from home uh, given the last nine months. Yeah, this is going to be really interesting to see um, how how many employers actually, we know the big uh, employers in, in, in Silicon Valley have gone ahead and and allowed their workers to work from most of their workforce to work from home. So it'll be interesting to see if that happens here too. So far, I feel like employers are still reticent to do that. And the truth is that in certain, especially in small teams, um, startups, it's kind of nice to have everyone in the same room together. Uh, you know, a, a Zoom I, room doesn't have the same uh, the same energy. I, I 100%. I think to be clear, a large organization like Google or Microsoft or, or whichever of the Silicon Valley tech companies has such a solid infrastructure to their organization that they can almost absorb the working from home model because the teams, the delegation, the incentives, the HR, the support mechanisms are in place. When you are a 20, 10, 50, 100 person organization trying to build uh, innovative and scalable companies, the power is the intellect and the exchange that happens in the room. And yes, you can allow, I think, for instance, we can take Magnet where we can accept more flexibility for working from home and, and allowing people maybe to have a few days off here or there. I have missed the ability to be in a room engaging uh, taking the temperature of employees. Are they happy? Are they down? Are there conflicts that need to be resolved? Are there successes that need to be uh, highlighted? It becomes a lot harder to do that on a Slack channel, on a once daily Zoom call, than really building the camaraderie. Ultimately, the success of any startup is the team and the culture that you're able to build within that. And while for a couple of months, you can maintain that from a work from home environment, that's very difficult to do in the long run. <laughs> taking your employee's temperature has a whole other meaning <laughs> so indeed <laughs> very well articulated uh, mr bahoshi so what are your predictions for 2021 other than job creations continued growth what are some specific things that um, you're predicting so we brought out the predictions on Magnet for uh, 2021. And I think the first one I kind of alluded to earlier, that Saudi Arabia as a force for the region will probably surpass Egypt and be a key driver for innovation and venture capital in the region. One of the predictions I made was that Magnet classifies mega deals as investments that are $100 million plus in venture capital. Um, given the environment that we're in, I think there's going to be a delay to VCs being able to fundraise themselves. And the second is to deploy capital. And when you're looking at those $100 million plus investments, it may take a while before we start seeing them. 
I predict that there'll be a slow start to 2021 in terms of investment activity, but we'll actually see record quarter highs at the end of the year in Q4 2021, because I think that there'll be uh, the return of that investment activities. Conversations for fundraising will begin in the next couple of months, which will end up being closed later this year. Um, and uh, I think that Pakistan uh, will be a step, because we're now covering those additional markets, Pakistan will see the largest acceleration and growth from a numbers perspective, given the interest that they have from international markets um, and, and the policies that are being driven in that market. And the final one is, I think I had predicted, which didn't happen in 2020, that it'll be a record year for mergers acquisitions um, in the region. I think that it'll be a record year of exits in 2021 as people begin to find a new norm, as companies that may have been struggling look to merge to become stronger forces, and as international companies seek opportunities in MENA, uh, make acquisitions to further their footprint in the Middle East. Ooh, it's getting interesting. Um, thank you so much for all your insights. Keep up the great work, and thanks for coming on the show. Thank you very much for having me. And uh, we look forward to giving you an update maybe next year. For sure. All the best. Thank you. That's it. I hope you enjoyed this special COVID lockdown episode of the podcast, despite the terrible sound quality. If you did, please like and subscribe to the show and join us again next time soon back in Hakawati Studio. Take care.